This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. To receive a free copy of Bob Buford's classic book, Halftime, moving from success to significance, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead. Welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. Today we, we have a, a just a great topic and a wonderful woman to help share with us, and that's Katie. Katie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. So here so here's how I met Katie. So Katie Weiland, my, my sister, she is an aspiring author and she's one of the most creative people I know, and she just has this incredible heart, Katie, to create um you know, fiction that's really, uh, you know, for young adults that really, you know, is fun to read, but also teaches them some of the life lessons that she's, you know, that she's worked hard to raise her three girls with and incorporate that in her writing. And, but, you know, hey, what do we do if we have this message, this idea in to put it out in words, right? There's so many uh, resources out there and it's kind of hard to find our way. And my sister was just tell- raving about you, Katie, <laughs> that she's plugged into your blog and your podcast and everything that you're doing and, and your resources and your materials. And it has been huge for her because she is very close to actually having something to submit to get published. And so I just thought this would be really fun to talk about because I know that, you know, writing a book is definitely on my priority list here over the next 12 months. And and my guess is, hearing you know so many people from our audience also, is that this is something, there's a lot of people that are thinking about, they don't really know what those next steps are. And so I love how you write about yourself here, right? You live in this, uh, you say, a make-believe world, you talk to imaginary friends, you survive primarily on chocolate truffles and espresso. <laughs> <laughs> No, that is awesome. That is my wife could definitely relate to that. We just went and toured the ham and candy factory this weekend oh just for goodness. something fun to do, and we had uh, we had uh, lots of good chocolate. And so, and you've won the uh, Ippy and the NIEA and Lyra Award, um, mm-hmm. um, and the uh, internationally published author of a number of different writing guides. Right, outlining your novel, structuring your novel, creating character arts. Uh, arcs, right? Jane Eyre, the writer's digested, annotated classic. Um, and you'll have to you'll have to tell me what this means, right? The historical diesel punk adventure called Storming. What is diesel punk? Love um, I don't know if you're familiar with steampunk. Um, mm-hmm. Diesel punk is kind of a subgenre of that. Steampunk is where you have a historical setting that's specifically Victorian, and you introduce mechanized um, elements to it. Um, so diesel punk is set not in the Victorian era, but in the um, in between the World Wars. So it's um, set in 1920, and it's about um, barnstorming pilots. And um, yeah, yeah, it was a really fun one to write. Oh, I get, well, I get, I'm a pilot, so um, I, yeah, it sounds like a good one for me to read. Um, you wrote Dreamlander. Uh, you wrote a medieval epic called Behold the Dawn. A western, a man called Outlaw. So you know, I I, I don't know what you do with your spare time. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I know that you do a lot of mentoring of other authors, just like my sister on, on your, your blog. I know you've won a number of awards for your blog and you, you live out in Western Nebraska. Um, good people live out there and you do a lot about your fiction. So your website, just so people, if you want to just plug in, it's helping writers become authors.com. And that is such a, that is such a, 
a great title because there's so many people in our audience I know that blog and they write we write short articles. It's something I've done and move forward. But you know, before we kind of dive into, you know, what you do and how you do it. Uh, could you just, I'd love for you to just share a little about kind of your background, your story and how you developed this passion and got to the, you know, the place that you're at today, Katie. Um, I like to say that uh, stories are my language. Um, literally my first memory as a child is when I'm two or three years old and I'm up in a treehouse at a family reunion and I'm making up a story about, I don't remember what it was, bad guys came and it was, I had to be heroic and save everyone or something like that. But um, it was kind of just a progression from there. I was always making things up, um, you know, acting things out as a child, making up stories. And I really had no intention whatsoever um, as a child or a young teenager of turning it into, you know, a career or a life. I was very interested in horses. I really thought that was going to be my life path. Um, so, but I, at one point, I just when I was about thirteen, I wrote. I decided I really liked this story that I'd come up with, and I wanted to write it down so I wouldn't forget it. And so, I went from loving the storytelling aspect to also falling in love with the writing. And um, by the time I was done with high school, I was coming to this realization that I'd really rather stay inside and write rather than go outside and ride. So at that point, I decided to sell my horses, and I started focusing on writing my fiction full time. Um, from there, it was kind of a point well, and, where and a question for you, right? Because that sounds like that was a uh, a pretty big decision, right? I mean, you're giving up something that you were passionate about to solely focus on one area. You know what? What kind of led you to have such clarity that this is where you wanted to go? A lot of it was, I think, that um, I didn't, I didn't, I, I could have kept both, you know, I could have kept on doing both, but I am very much a single focused, one track minded person. Yeah. And I, I wanted my horses to go to a good home. I didn't want them to just stand around in the pasture and get fat and have, you know, nothing pointless. So it was important to me to share them and move them on to a good home so that I could focus on this. And it was hard. It was really hard to let go of that. Um, but it was one of those decisions that just, it was so right that it almost wasn't a decision. Mm. And I just knew it was, this was the path and this was what needed to happen. So, um, anyway, moving on from there, um, people were telling me I needed to publish my first book. So I looked into doing that. And then of course you're confronted with the whole thing of having to figure out a way to create a platform so you can sell this book. And that was kind of how the Helping Writers Become Authors site came about. I, um, at that point, it was you know a big thing. Every author has to have a blog. And of course, so what am I going to blog about? Well, writing. Yeah. So that kind of is how that took off. I started writing the how-to books, and they took off on their own. And the whole thing just kind of snowballed, and 10 years later, here we are. And so when you first got started doing this, um, or, you know, and you have, you know, what were some of the things that you went through that allowed you to start, you know, getting, you know, your writing out from you talk about right, you know, moving writers into authors? What, what would you say the difference between a writer and an author is? Well, it's kind of funny, actually, because ultimately, I think it's just semantics. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of people. I mean, it's how um, we view ourselves, right? Yeah, exactly. A lot of people. I would say, like you, you commented that your sister is an aspiring writer. Yeah. And I always like to tell people that if you write, you are a writer. 
Um, you don't have to be published. You don't have to reach some you know, milestone of success in order to claim that title. Because it's crazy how many people are actually really hesitant to own that. To, mm. I mean, even you're just at the hairdresser or something and they ask, what do you do? And I mean, even me, sometimes it's like, it feels really awkward to say, well, I am a writer. But I always like to encourage people, if you write, you're a writer. And then I think a lot of people feel more comfortable taking on the title of author once they move on to a more um, visible place in their career after they've been published and maybe earn some money for what they're doing, that kind of thing. Well, and I also think, you know, that kind of feeds into a mindset, right? If I, if I actually start saying out loud, I'm a writer, I'm an mm -hmm. author, you know, I think that also probably informs how we view ourselves and how we actually start maybe prioritizing and putting in the work and finding the time and, you know, because it definitely, it's a process, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've always, um, my, people ask me, what's my top advice for writers? And my go-to answer is um, write every day treat it like a job if you want to be serious about that. And actually, I'm kind of at an interesting place in my own life right now. Um, after 10 years of, you know, it was, has been my job for 10 years, you know, putting in the hours every single day. Um, you know, so what, are you, what do you do in your spare time? Well, my spare time has been, you know, pretty much the business, the writing for the last 10 years. But just here within the last year, I've come to a place of kind of stepping back from that. And realizing that um, it's important to have a life outside of writing. So I think I have to now temper my um, general advice, which is still good advice. You know, if you want to make this happen, you need to do it on a consistent basis. But at the same time, people, I think, get into this um, guilted mindset where they feel like if they're not writing every day, if they're not prioritizing it over everything, including their families sometimes, that they're not legitimate as writers, that they're never going to achieve their dreams. And of course, that's not true. You know, we have to be able to achieve a balance that we can sustain over the long term. And I think, you know, it's something that I wasn't particularly good at myself. But if you're able to strike that balance right from the beginning, yeah. I think that's fantastic. And that will serve you so well over the long run. Okay, so to the extent that I can write every day or, you know, I start, you know, working on that, right? A lot of these people, like myself, right, I'll, I'll write uh, a blog post weekly. It's And writing is definitely not one of my strengths, although there's a book in me and I've outlined it and I, I need to start moving toward that. And I know I speak for a lot of people who are listening. So, you know, just, you know, some practical advice for when I'm when I want to start putting pen to paper or start typing out something daily or much more regularly than you have been you want to give yourself a little bit of grace what what advice would you say for people to you know what does that look like how do we give some people some you know success in this area well for me i think there are two major steps in creating a process that is going to enable you to find success on a regular basis um number one i think is preparation um as you mentioned, I wrote a book called Outlining Your Novel, so I'm very big on outlines and preparation. I feel like if you're able to basically work out the logical questions about a story or an article or whatever and get that part of your brain, you know, so that those questions are answered, 
then when you go into the actual writing part, the first draft, you can totally just unleash the creative side of your brain and trust that the the logical answers are already there to kind of be your safety net. And it just makes the whole process at that point much faster and much easier. Um, and the other thing is I think it's it's so easy. There's a quote by, I want to say John Grisham, who said that, or no, it was Henry James, who said that writing is the act of thinking logically on the page. And that's why it's so hard. Sit there and organize your thoughts so that everything is, you know, making sense in a way that readers are going to be able to resonate with and understand. So it's really hard. You sit there at the computer and it's so easy to get distracted, particularly um, in this day of the internet that we live in. Um, but it's just so easy to, oh, all of a sudden, I need to go clean my fridge, I need to clip my fingernails, you know, anything, but sit there and concentrate. And what I've discovered is, without question, the hardest part of the writing session, every single day, even now after, you know, the the many, many books that I've written, the hardest part is always that first sentence that you mm. sit down to write. So if you can just start typing, if you can just get that out and get into that flow where you're not thinking about writing, but you just are writing, everything becomes so much easier. Um, and kind of as a part of that, I also recommend that people don't don't write as quickly as you can when you're in the first draft stage. Because if you slow down and go back over what you've written that day and you're you're writing very slowly, then you keep putting yourself back in exactly that same spot that you're in at the beginning of the writing session where you have to get back into it. So sometimes when I'm, um, particularly when I'm struggling with something like that, a little exercise that I like to do is I like to um, set a goal for myself of writing 350 words per 15 minutes, which is um, totally manageable. Yeah, totally manageable, but I do have to sit there and concentrate on it. So um, that keeps me focused. It also lets me look up, you know, instead of it being a whole hour where I'm doing more than that, um, where it's easier to get distracted, it's like, yeah, I can totally write really fast for 15 minutes. And then you stop, and then you can look back at what you want if you want, or just start the next 15 minutes. And doing that just kind of keeps you in that flow. And I would also say that the more you do this, the more consistently you do this day in and day out, the easier it gets just because you learn to trust the process. I've, I've been doing this for 10 years, I can do this for another day. <laughs> well, you know, I'm thinking about the preparation. So, you know, in, in my mind, I'm thinking of like almost even having, uh, if I want to start out writing, you know, 350, 700,000 word, maybe, you know, blog posts, right? And mm -hmm. then I can put these together. But if I, like for myself, when I do do it weekly, right, I always sit down and say, okay, what's the main point here? What's the theme Right. What is why is it important to the people reading it? What are the three points that I want to maybe communicate? And what are some of the stories that relate to these points that really might connect with people? And as I write that down and kind of do that as my preparation uh, is, you know, kind of almost creating this outline. Mm -hmm. Then it's a lot easier to just start writing. And I do, I, I tend to write from the top down and that does make it hard. But what you're saying is maybe just jump in wherever is easiest and just start getting you know getting the flow going and getting some of those thoughts down on paper because i think part of what holds me back is i'm always kind of writing saying is this something i would publish versus just trying to get it down on paper knowing that i can edit it and make it better you know through the process 
Yeah, exactly. There's you know so much out there um, in the writing world about how first drafts don't have to be good. That's what rewriting is for. You know, it's it's way easier to edit a manuscript that's there than one that you never actually wrote because you were afraid that it wasn't going to be perfect. Um, I definitely um, think that it's you know, it's great to just not put that pressure of perfectionism on yourself in the first draft because ultimately it's it's a very destructive mindset. But also I think the better you get at preparation and the more you create a preparation process that's right for your creativity and your lifestyle and your goals, that the easier the first drafts get and the better they get. I've definitely found in my own writing that the more I'm able to refine my preparation process – the better and better my first drafts get so that I am having to do less and less rewriting on the other end. Now, I, I know there's, uh, like I'm thinking about writing my book, right? The, even thinking about where to get started, actually how to write an outline for a book, right? Whether it's fiction or nonfiction is, seems to be, um, I think, like this huge task, especially for those of us who've never done it before. And I know this is something you've put a lot of thought into, created tools around. What, what are your thoughts on somebody who has an idea of what they want to do, but you know, what, what are kind of those steps to walk through from taking this idea all the way through actually having uh, you know, a book? Well, obviously, my process is more um, optimized for fiction than nonfiction. But basically, my approach is wanting to figure out how to integrate conscious and subconscious creativity, logic and emotion, so that we're utilizing both. Um, I think a lot of people like say they get started in, in reading about the techniques of writing. They see all these rules and they freak yeah. out because they don't want to logically think about something that's supposed to be creative. But the truth is that you know we can overcompensate on that in either direction. We can become so creative-minded that we're just throwing this stuff onto the page and it makes no sense and we can become so logical minded that we're trying to follow all the rules and we're creating something that's really stilted and just doesn't have that life's breath of our own imagination in it anymore so that is the whole focus of what i try to do in harmonizing the preparation phase the outlining phase and the first draft phase I want to be able to use that preparation phase to logically consider everything that I'm wanting to deal with in this story. Um, generally, by the time I even start the preparation stage, I have um, gone through what I call the conception stage, which is just kind of imagining what's what I want to have happen, um, collecting, you know, just random ideas. So once I get to the outline stage, I just kind of throw all of that onto the page, look at what I've got. And start trying to connect the dots and ask myself, you know, if this happens, then what is it, what needs to happen to set this up? And how do I how do I fill in the plot holes? How do I make characters' motivations make sense? How do I make sure that I am taking full advantage of the premise that I'm looking at and, and finding all of the originality that could be there? So at that point, my process is really just talking to myself out loud on the page. I like to outline longhand in a notebook and I just record my thoughts basically and try to work my way through the problems, ask the questions that I know I need to ask to try to harmonize um, plot and theme and character 
And then eventually, at some point, I will move on from that. Um, once I feel like I've answered all of the main questions, I'll move on from that to an actual scene-by-scene outline. Um, a lot of people, you know, just want to write um, a header, basically, for a scene. This happens. I like to be as thorough as possible because I like to get all of those questions about what's going to happen out of the way so that then when I'm actually ready to get into that writing mindset and start putting together the narrative that's going to bring to life um, the story, I don't want to have to think about that because they're really two different mindsets. Storytelling and writing are completely different skill sets, Mm. which I think is something that a lot of people don't consider, but they are, and they use different parts of your brain. So I like to try to isolate the storytelling from the outlining so that I can optimize um, the way I use my brain for each section. So hopefully once I get into the first draft at that point, I have all of the major questions answered about what's going to happen and I can just get into that flow of organizing my thoughts and letting them, you know, come out on the page. Well, you know, um, I'm just thinking about what you said, right? You know, stories are your language and storytelling is such a skill. And, you know, if you look at how we learn and the neuroscience of, of, of learning, right, there could be, you know, there, there's this information, the content that we're putting it out, but it really connects and resonates to people, makes it either an experience, creates memories, creates learning, new awareness when we provide the context. And the context is really delivered in in a way that engages the brain and becomes memorable through stories. And I think this is something we can all get better at, whether we're speaking, you know, writing, working with small groups, writing a book. And, you know, what are your thoughts on how people really come up with, uh, you know, what those stories are, what are the elements of it to really, you know, connect with the people they're communicating with? Yeah, so I totally agree with that. Um, something that's been very interesting for me in my um, journey through story theory and really digging deep into what makes stories tick mm-hmm. is this discovery that there is a pattern in all stories across centuries, across countries, um, whether the writer is a woman or a man. Every single successful story has this underpinning of basically the same structure. And a lot of people come at this slightly differently. You hear it called the three-act structure, uh, the hero's journey, the monomyth, things like that. And there's, there are definitely different beats that people use to interpret it. But the basic foundation is, I think, ingrained so deeply in our storytelling because it's ingrained in our psyches. It is the story of life. It is arcs and patterns that we live out in our own lives over and over and over again on different scales. The And so basically I, what I like to do is break it down into particularly the journey of character. And what that comes down to is a internal conflict between a lie and a truth. Mm. And this can be something really big and monumental or it can be something really small and everyday. But it's something where we're starting out in life with misconceptions about whatever and internal conflict as a result. And we're having to slowly evolve into not just understanding the truth, but being able to reject the lie and embrace this new and empowering and more healthy way of living. And that's the fundamental core of every single story that's written. And there are different ways to come at this. Obviously, some people reject the truth and embrace the lie. 
um, other people already are in possession of a truth that they're using to impact and teach um, people in the lives around them. But I just find it so exciting that not only are we able to identify these really resonant patterns in fiction that allow us to um, utilize them in creating our own powerful stories, but also realizing that this is why stories are so important. This is why they teach us about ourselves, about others, about the bigger picture of how the world works, about the bigger story that we're all a part of. And it's been something that has been, honestly, has been life-changing for me just within my personal life and being able to recognize these patterns and see them happening in my life. It's it's a very exciting thing to see the art and life kind of come together in a very real way. Yeah, what would be, what, what do you think would be a good example or a story that you can tell about how to take what you just shared, which I love, and, you know, bring that into something somebody can start uh, to think about how to tell maybe a story, a personal experience, and maybe a little bit different way to make it, you know, more impactful, more, you know, more poignant. I think it's something that, you know, if you're telling a personal story, particularly, you have to have lived through it enough to have be able to look back at it and identify, yeah, okay, this was the, the mindset that I had to overcome. Um, an example that I really like from fiction is Jane Eyre. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned that I had written the um, Writer's Digest annotated classic for that, um, which was really kind of where this all came together for me. Um, Writer's Digest at the time was doing a series of books where they wanted authors to analyze classics and kind of footnote it and break it down about why these books worked and why they're still um, so popular, you know, hundreds of years later. So in Breaking Down Jane Eyre, um, it was very interesting to me to see how all of this came to life and to witness how this fantastic character, the reason she's so fantastic is because she follows this character arc. Um, she starts out with a lie as an orphan child of believing that she's basically unlovable and more specifically that she has to be good to earn love. And then, of course, her story is this epic romance where she meets um, this mysterious guy, Mr. Rochester, and falls in love with him. And it's all great and wonderful, except he's married to a crazy lady who he keeps in the attic. And the only way she can be with him is if she um, you know, contradicts everything she believes to become his mistress. So she's confronted with this fantastic moment in the story where she has to decide – is she going to die to her old self, to the lie that she has to earn love, that she's only worth something if she is loved? Or is she going to embrace what at that point is a very painful truth in you know, coming to grips with the fact that she does not need to compromise herself in any way to live a full life, even if it means not being with this person that she loves? And it's... It was. It's just a very. It's a. It's a great example. I highly recommend it for anybody who's wanting to study positive change arcs, um, because it's just perfect. It's perfectly plotted, and is so obvious in how do we take this character who moves from a very conflicted and painful mindset through a painful journey, but coming eventually to this empowering and very healthy truth in the end. You know, I've never thought of it that way that you talked about, but, you know, that is such a great, you know, if people kind of pull from that and think about if we look at, you know, some of the stories that we tell or part of what we do, 
whether it's kind of in the fiction or nonfiction world, right? Just pulling out, you know, what is that conflict? What are the choices that, you know, that we had to make? What were the outcomes or consequences mm-hmm. of those? And just being really sometimes being really intensely vulnerable and authentic about our own personal experience. I think that also relates to people. Because what I've also found, too, is I've been through some pretty significant, I told you a little bit about my accident, mm-hmm. right? That That is a story that not everybody can relate to. But if I can actually kind of, you know, bring that down to some of the conflict that was part of that, that's part of everybody else's everyday life to highlight that. Now people can relate to some of the things that I learned from my experience versus saying, wow, that's that was really interesting and compelling. But how does that, you know, what does that mean to me? You know, so we also have to, um, I, I believe, you know, keep that in mind that how do we make this something that's relatable also to a choice or a conflict or a decision that, you know, the people that we're trying to communicate to are also, you know, struggling with or have made or need to make. Yeah, totally. Um, the fundamental um, choice when you're trying to figure out what you want a characters or you, or trying to represent a truth and a lie that you have experienced in your own life is realizing that it's not a surface thing. It's not, um, oh, I shouldn't have bought onions at the grocery store. It's something much, much more primal. It has to come down to a fundamental issue like love or fear or um, insecurity, something like that, you know, because that manifests in many, many different ways. But being able to break down our own personal experiences and our own personal views of the world and come down to these primal issues that we all face and we all interact with, that's what makes fiction so universal. That we can tell a story, that, that a story about a governess in the 1800s, Jane Eyre, is still pertinent to us today and is still speaking to people. You know, we have nothing in common whatsoever with the life that she led or with the particulars of her story. But the the human story underneath it of overcoming um, our insecurities, our false views about the world, and coming into a more um, centered and balanced view of how to um, look at ourselves and how to treat other people, that is something that that is the true power of stories and the reason that they resonate with all of us um, in, in many different ways. Now, um, you know, as people are listening, right, and they're, they're hearing all this about the, the outline and the structure and the story arcs and how to tell stories, and there's so many amazing resources on your website, so I really encourage people to just plug in there. But, you know, here, share this with me also, right? Um, you know, a lot of the people, uh, as we're kind of moving into this, what are some, you know, you work with so many authors, Katie, what are some of the maybe the mistakes or maybe, you know, common mindsets that aren't very helpful that you see in people that uh, really have that potential to to do more writing, to publish, and some of the things that might be holding them back? Well, it's interesting. I actually just posted today about um, several reasons that people write that are actually destructive reasons that are not mm. making people happy. Um, ultimately, I believe that the only good reason fundamentally to write is if it's a call upon your your heart and your soul. Mm. It's something that you have to do. I often tell people, if you cannot write, then don't. Because 
I, and ultimately, anybody who's asking me this question, should I write, is is probably experiencing that call and has this story somewhere within them that they're wanting to tell. Um, I think, though, that it's so easy, particularly once you start publishing and start, you know, trying to make a success out of the book on a monetary level, to get sucked into these um, really dangerous mindsets of um, particularly writing for money. And I think it's fantastic if you can make a living um, off of your writing. Um, certainly, I have been blessed to be able to do that. But you have to really be aware of how easy it is to turn your art into business, just business, um, so that you are no longer doing it for the right reasons, that you're trying to please an audience, you're, you're focused on, you know, what am I going to be able to write that's going to sell the most books and make me the most money, instead of that original pure desire of what do I need to write? What is my story that I need to share with the world? So it sounds like but, that one of those the first mistake in just getting started is r- not really knowing why you're doing it in the first place. Really connecting to that why mm-hmm. or that calling that that gives you that kind of that energy, that fuel to kind of push through and create some some new habits and put in the work to to do this to get that message out there. Yeah, and I think too um writers deal so much with insecurities and inferiorities, Mm. um, being jealous of other writers, which is crazy because there's, you know, another writer's success in no way endangers your success. In fact, it's probably just the opposite. But right, that's a big thing among writers is dealing with just this sense that here I am, you know, dumping my soul and um, whatever my skill is onto the page and throwing it out into the world to be judged. So there's a lot of inferiority. And I think as a result, a lot of confusion about what success actually means. Hmm. This is definitely something that I have had to work through for myself. Yeah. Um, But just in feeling like you're never good enough, you're never... You never sell enough books. You never get enough good reviews. There's always somebody who doesn't like what you've done. And that's always, you know, the voice that you remember. So I think it's really important, um, and the earlier the better, but it's really important to sit down and figure out what you think of as success. You know, maybe you want to win the Pulitzer, and that's great, you know, but most of us realize that's probably not going to happen. So it's not even on our radar. So what is your definition of success? Is it selling um, a million books, a thousand books, a hundred books? Is it um, having one reader who um, responds to the book and whose life was touched by it? Is it maybe just even just finishing the book for yourself? Um, I think that, and I know there, there will be authors who disagree with this, but fundamentally, I think it's important to write first and foremost for yourself for the love of it. I say that I would write even if no one ever read me. And obviously, you know, there are many facets of what I do that I'm, I want people to read it. I want to be able to reach out and touch lives. But if all of that was taken away for some reason, I would still write. Do you think that mindset is probably the reason, even though it might be a little counter, you know, counterintuitive is why you've been successful? I think to some extent, yeah, I think that People respond to authenticity, which is something that I've always tried really hard to present to honesty in fiction. Um, That's another thing I think, okay, that would be another mistake that I feel like authors often um, make in the beginning. Because like I said, you're, you're feeling insecurity, you're feeling inferiority, and you're afraid to really put yourself out there on the page. 
um, because it's scary, you know, and the more readers you have, the scarier it gets because you are putting the most precious part of yourself out there for judgment. Um, but I think you cannot write something worthwhile unless you're willing to be honest. And that starts with being honest with yourself, um, which often starts with kind of going through one of those little character arcs of discovering truths. Um, <laughs> Your own hero's journey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but then also being willing to get into that place, to go back there in that place in your head and relive it on the page and to, you know, be, be willing to risk being honest, um, even if people, you know, won't receive it. And there will be some people who will not receive it for whatever reason. But in general, I find that it is just amazing how people respond to um, honesty and authenticity. I wrote a post here on my blog not long ago about um, kind of the journey that I've been in through this last year, which has been very much one of um, discovering new truths and and figuring out um, new directions for my life. And it was it was a very personal post, which I don't do a whole lot of because I deal obviously a lot with structure and theory and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just blown away by the response to that post. And I credit it entirely to the fact that it was something that I was, I was being honest about. And I believe that that honesty speaks to honesty. So when an when an author is able to be honest in what they're writing, that then speaks to the honesty within their readers as well, and encourages them to be honest with themselves. Yeah, I I, I can understand why people respond to that. Uh, you know, our podcast and just everything we've done when when it's about somebody's story, not just about the teaching is when people really resonate. But you brought up something that I think is just a universal truth and an internal conflict because all my work that I do, Katie, is with leaders, you know, from Fortune 100 companies and governments and military to startup entrepreneurs, uh, people that are in leadership, whether it's in, you know, maybe a ministry, a church, you know, on the pastoral staff or a company is kind of this mindset of, you know, competing with others. And I think there's a, there's a, you know, comparing ourselves and in competing. And if we compare ourselves to others, it's always what I found reinforces kind of that, that negative self-talk that, you know, why don't, you know, why did Katie's message, why did she sell more books? What is she doing differently? Um, and if we can move away from, comparing ourselves to other people because that's not helpful but if we can learn on how to become maybe our best most authentic self and then how do we compete with our own best self that now becomes our new reference on how we're moving forward and if we can make that when i see leaders make that mindset shift from comparing themselves to maybe other leaders or other organizations that might be doing better or growing faster when you're in that mode, you're always, I think, playing from a, pay, a place of um, trying not to fail versus working hard to to win the best that I can. And, and so I guess that's the, you know, anybody out there that's thinking of writing or it's in business or your family, whatever you're in, if you can just work on just even making that, you know, creating that awareness and making that shift in yourself it really opens up uh, a whole different path forward for, you know, the, for better results. Yeah, I love that. I totally agree with that. You talked about um, becoming your best self. Um, that's actually the tagline on my blog is, is write your best story. Because I love think that, that we are always, 
we're always moving forward. We're never going to be perfect, but we can always be the best version of ourselves, the best writer that we're able to be at this moment. Um, that's something that, um, you know, like I said, I'm a very one track minded person, very future oriented. And I feel like that's something that God has really been teaching me in this last year is staying in the present and just appreciating where I am right now and who I am right now and focusing on that because ultimately that's what builds the future anyway. And, um, definitely for writers, I think that that is, is so true because, um, we're definitely always, um, in this competition mindset, you know, we live in a world that's very focused on competition and winning. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely learning for myself that it's, it's not, it's not a competition at all. It's a journey and we are all on the journey together at different stages. Um, but ultimately we have to walk our path, you know, by ourselves and be responsible for it ourselves and to just see the beauty of that and to enjoy it on a day-by-day basis. Yeah, um, I couldn't agree more with that. And so for people, you know, to plug into Katie and learn more, it's helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com. And, you know, just as we wrap up, Katie, just any final thoughts you'd like to leave with with everybody listening um, out there? Um, well, just thank you so much for having me. It was really great to be here. I, you know, don't always get an opportunity to talk about um, some of the more um, fundamental and um, life applicable aspects of this. So this was really fun. Yeah, it was great having you here and love to stay in touch. And, you know, thank you for what you're doing. I mean, it's been uh, your body of work is just, you know, it's taken a, a ton of time. I know you've poured your heart, your love, your your spirit, um, you know, into what you do to not only to, to get your message out, but also to equip others. And I love that heart. And, you know, as people, you know, all of us, right, I, I think this whole concept of, uh, you know, when we serve others to become at their full potential, man, that always just comes back into what we do and how we do it. And it's just, uh, it just creates a, a better world. It builds the kingdom. And I just think it just honors, you know, why we're, you know, why we're here in the first place. So, you know, thank you what you're doing, Katie. And I've really enjoyed getting to know you, this conversation. And uh, if there's anything I can do for you, please let me know. Well, thank you. And, and same to you, definitely. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. In 1994, Bob Buford penned the book Halftime, moving from success to significance. And in the more than 20 years since then, more than three quarters of a million copies have been sold. It's touched baby boomers in the 90s, and it's now touching the lives of both Gen Xers who are in that midlife season asking, is this all there is? As well as baby boomers who are searching for significance in retirement. To get a free copy of the book, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. And after you read it, if you have any questions, you can have a no obligation one hour of halftime coaching. Eternalleadership.com slash halftime. You can't beat getting a free bestseller. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.